Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting Scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years' experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. start off today with a question. Who is Jesus to you? We may agree to use such words as Savior and Messiah, but we likely differ in how we see Jesus, how we perceive his mission here on earth, how we relate to Jesus, and what kind of power Jesus has over our lives. In some ways, we may actually be limiting the power of Jesus in the world because we are so focused on our view of who the only begotten Son of God really is. While Jesus died and emerged alive from the tomb to set us free, we tend to put chains on him. At least I think that's one way to describe a theme throughout the new book, Jesus Unchained, How to Rise Above Agendas, Find Peace, and Be Set Free. It's the new book, the first book, by the Reverend Robert Johnson, lead pastor of St. Mark United Methodist Church in Wichita. Listeners may remember Robert. He was kind and brave enough to share his stories of encountering and coping with racism in a series of episodes of this podcast, following the death of George Floyd in 2020. And thanks in part to the power of Robert's stories, that series was recognized as the top podcast by the Religion Communicators Council. Robert, thank you for joining me and welcome back to In Layman's Terms. It's good to be back with you, Todd. And thank you for the previous interview. I enjoyed doing that and delighted to be back with you in another interview. So your first book. Mm -hmm. uh, So I got to ask, I'm sure you've been asked this before, why write this book at this time? Oh, wow. So this book has been in, in my being, in my mind and heart, probably for two dec- almost two decades. And it began uh, as I consider myself somewhat of a what I call a public practical theologian. And what I mean by that is that I don't have I don't really have time as a pastor to engage in a lot of a lot of ab- abstract theology. But, the, but it's theology that grows out of the practice of ministry. And so one of the things that, I, that I've been encountering over the past two decades, going back to, I served on staff at Windsor Village United Methodist Church, which is at that time was the largest, mega, largest Methodist church in the world. Then I did a new church plant. And then I served a predominantly Anglo congregation in South Central Texas. And then I came to a mini mega church, a large church at St. Mark in Wichita. So those those different contexts uh, have those contexts have raised questions for me that I was trying to answer, and the answers I found were centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. So I started visioning about this book probably a decade ago, 
my wife and daughters would tell you that they had a, they've had a lot of fun laughing about all the times I took my laptop on vacations and was supposed to take time to write and it never happened. My daughter actually designed a book cover for me to inspire me about seven years ago. That didn't help. Uh, but I, about a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, Lynn Wilson, uh, I was, they were creating this new publishing company uh, and uh, within the United Methodist Circles, and he reached out to me and said, do you have anything you've written? And I was like, bits and pieces, but I think I can put it together. And I felt like that this book was, uh, is, is, is a kind of a, in the having a Kairos moment. And I think that a book about Jesus, not a book about, you know, the historical Jesus, we've been down that path, uh, but a book that, talks about how G Jesus as he really is, as he's presented by the biblical witness, is important for our times because I think that in our times, maybe more than ever before, there are mass distortions of who he is. And those distortions are being attached to our identity as Christians and as the church and as followers of Jesus. So when he asked that question of you, it wasn't quite like it was just written on the back of a cocktail napkin. <laughs> you had a few things going on. Uh, I had a few things going on, yeah. yeah. Uh, but tell me a little bit about the Bible study that went into how you developed this. I mean, like you said, it's been over the course of decades, right? So uh, how did you start to formulate some of the things that you share in the book? What I started doing was, you know, of course, as a seminary grad, I went to Perkins School of Theology. So, you know, interpretation of uh, historical, critical interpretation of the Bible had been something that I've been trained to do. But what I wanted to do was to in, explore the story and life of Jesus from the biblical witness. Because I, what was important for me was that whatever we developed, whatever we came up with, that it was readable and it was uh, understandable for people in the local church. Cause that's, those are the people for whom I was trying to answer this question. Um, from young black adult, young adult black people who were, who were questioning the reality of Jesus and questioning whether, you know, making accusations of Jesus being a blonde haired, blonde, blonde haired, blue eyed guy that we can't relate to, or that's the slave masters, God or whatever, all the way to, uh, just, you know, why would we, why should we listen to someone who lived 2000 years ago? What rel relevance does he have for us? Uh, and then all of the distortions of Jesus that happened. And so uh, over the years I've done, and it's, and it's taken, at one point I did a series called the, uh, called Blueprint Jesus. <laughs> uh, at one point I did a series called the Trent, uh, the Transformer, Jesus, the, the Transformer. So this, uh, over the past decade, it's been multiple Bible studies, multiple sermon series. We didn't come to Jesus Unchained until I had actually started writing the book, and we were trying to come up with a title. And a couple of titles that we came up with were already taken, and so we settled on Jesus Unchained and thought it was, and I thought it was, it was recommended to me, and I thought it was perfect. Yeah. I certainly think it matches based on based on my reading of it. So all the experience that you've had obviously has convicted you over the years to share who you believe Jesus to be, and perhaps more importantly, how people sometimes can actually limit Jesus's impact on their lives by what they believe or don't believe about him. So I want to start off, let's just dive right into the, the meat of the book here, something that you say in a chapter that you titled The Touchstone. 
you point out the importance of embracing Jesus as Lord and how we should measure everything in relation to Jesus. Can you elaborate on that point and explain its importance to the whole thesis of the book? So one of the things that I, I started encountering when I started focusing on Jesus a couple of, a decade and a half ago, part of what happened is I discovered that I started feeling like I was on this island alone in this focus on Jesus. So I would talk to people, I would preach about Jesus, I would teach about Jesus, I would engage in conversations. And people were, the, the responses, the response that I was getting over and over again was kind of like, well, like, okay, that's, Jesus is wonderful. Can we get back to the real stuff? Can we get back to real Christianity? Can we get back to what it really means to be, you know, to have faith in God, to be a person of faith, da, 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 da. And our people would talk about everybody in the Bible, but Jesus was just kind of minimized and kind of sidelined. And, and, and so that was, that was uh, curious to me because I'm, my understanding of, of Christianity is that to be a Christian means to be Christ-like. Jesus calls us to follow him. And so the, the, the central claim of a Christian is that we are followers of Jesus, that we, you know, Lynn Sweet has taught me to, to, uh, to not focus so much on, on the imitation of Christ, but the impartation of Christ so that we can be formed into his image. But the point is, is that becoming, uh, following Jesus is what it essentially means to be a Christian. So uh, that chapter was written to say, of all the ways that we might define what it means to be Christian, let's be clear that the the first and fundamental claim of what our def definition of what it means to be a believer, be a Christian, is that we are followers of Jesus. So, and that we can't follow him unless we really are engaged in the work of learning who he is and building relationship with him, the living Christ, and studying both who he is as revealed through the Holy Spirit, but also in, in spending time engaging in the life that he actually lived on earth. I think it's interesting that we've kind of lost lost who Jesus is, you know, what do you think, what do you think led to that? Uh, how did we get to a point where we're not as focused on the Jesus that we can read about in scripture? And it's more like who we've, this image that we've formed in our heads. Well, I think part of it is, is just a human tendency towards idolatry and Christians engage in that. And we can talk about that later. But I think the other thing is that I just think we've kind of wandered away, wandered away in the way that, I try, you know, like sheep wandered away, wander away from where they're supposed to be. Or like children, if you leave them alone by themselves too long, they're going to they're bound to get into something uh, to get away from where they need to be. Uh, one of uh, a friend of mine here at St. Mark said to me as we as I started engaging in the person of Jesus here at St. Mark and she found it very helpful. And she said to me that it had ne she had never even thought about the idea of the centrality of Jesus in faith, that being a Christian to her meant that I join the church, that I go to Bible study, that I change how I live, that I engage in spiritual disciplines of prayer, so forth and so on, and that I pay my tithes, that that's what it meant, that, that focusing on Jesus had never even occurred to her. And she said to me also, that she would bet that that is probably the testimony of most people in St. Mark. That was eye-opening. 
now is all those things are the actions right that we expect right. in the right. society that we we've kind of just come to identify with because right. oh if you're a christian you must be going to church and you must be right. doing those things exactly. but it doesn't get into the self-reflection yes yes the self-reflection and and the attempt to to measure oneself uh in light of Jesus' words and action, his death and resurrection, and his ongoing life. Like living into that, uh, building relationship with Jesus. And as he's revealed through to our hearts through the Holy Spirit, under, you know, seeking deeper revelation, deeper understanding, so that we might be more effective witnesses of, of Jesus in the world. I don't think that happens a lot. Yeah. And I'm not sure, except for, like I said, I just think we wander off. I think we have a tendency toward idolatry. And uh, and I think that most people, in most people's minds, Christianity is a morality tale. It's a tale about morality. And so we, that's how we measure the, uh, uh, the the authenticity of faith is how, can, you know, do you keep your moral, keep the moral, co moral code? Uh, now, we, we will excuse people if they don't keep the moral code, if they give well in church. <laughs> if they volunteer and they help out around church, we, we will give them some, we'll give them a break on the moral code. But for everybody else, it's the moral code. But it's not about digging deeper into how Jesus understood what it means to be human, what it means to live on, live in this reality we call earth. Uh, what it means to live one one's life before God. Like, what did Jesus really say about that? And why does it matter? Yeah. I think that's a good segue to something else that you point out in the book uh, that I think is obvious for people, but we don't often think about it. So I'd like to ask you to elaborate a little bit on this topic. Uh, you say Jesus's mission was not about religion, but about humanity. Tell us a little bit about why that's so important uh, as we think about who Jesus is. So one of the things that I've tried to do over the in my explore, exploration of, of Jesus, a deeper exploration. So what I did is that I said, okay, I don't want to just try to tell other people. I want to do this. I'm taking this journey myself. So I want to, I'm going to reread the gospels multiple times. I'm going to dig deeper. I'm going to ask the tough questions. I'm going to read different books. I'm going to try to find different perspectives. And so one of the things that I concluded, I came to was that if Jesus is who we say he is, if he's, the only begotten son of God, if he's the light of the world, if he's God's ultimate word and God's ultimate revelation of truth, then he he, he was doing something bigger than religion. Uh, he was doing something for all of creation. And so that bigger perspective on Jesus, if I read the gospels through that lens i got a totally different perspective so for example when when jesus goes to meet with zacchaeus at his house uh zacchaeus is a tax collector tax collectors were considered the chief of sinners among jesus's community jesus goes and hangs out with him we're not told that jesus had any conversation with him about religion we're not so we don't we don't know what they talked about we just say that jesus went goes to his house what's implied in luke is that Jesus was embracing someone who who was thought to be untouchable. Jesus goes and hangs out with him. And in the embrace of Jesus, in Jesus' welcoming presence, Zacchaeus decides on his own, hey, you know what? I want to stop cheating. <laughs> and I want to like, I need to do some rest, restorative, rep yeah, I need I'm to actually do some gonna pay reparations. Back. Pay, pay some stuff back, back right? right? Pay, back, pay some stuff back. 
And I was like, that that's more that's more than that's something that's not discounting religion, but it's something more than religion that Jesus was digging into who he was as a human being in a way that he was bringing him into a fuller, what I call a fuller humanity. And I've come to the conclusion that that's what Jesus was really doing, period. That Jesus came to reveal the heart of God, but he also was was revealing who we can become, God's dream for who we could be as the crown of God's creation. And so it's about being fully human. And then when I when I put when I place that measure or that measurement on my reading of the gospels, then it helped me to understand what I think is missing in so many churches. What was missing what's been missing for me as someone who was who was born and raised in a church, who accepted a call in ministry as a teenager, joined the United Methodist Church. I've been in church most of my life, but so many times over the years, I've sat in church, I've sung the right songs. I've even preached the right sermons. I've done all the things that were Christian, but as a human being, I was so far, I was I was a million miles away. How does that happen? And in some way I realized that that church was not, it was tapping into my, maybe my religious aspirations, but it wasn't tapping into my, the essence of who I am as a human being. Do you think it has anything to do with how we just kind of get into routines? Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I think about how we all say the Lord's Prayer on Sunday morning, and we just kind of say that by rote. And it, it's kind of like when you're driving home the same path every day, you can get home and you don't even realize what's happened around you the whole time you've been driving. And sometimes we say that prayer, and I'm just thinking, I wonder if anybody actually paid attention to what they just said. Is it kind of that kind of thing? Is that what you're I saying? Think, I think you're I think you nailed it. Yeah, I think it's just we get into this routine. Now, part of what it means to be human is that we develop routines that provide structure and meaning to our lives so that we have some understanding. So that's, you know, it's not throwing that kind of throwing away rituals, but I think we can get so into routine that we we can lose touch with the humanity that is that are the humanness. Uh, be, getting us in touch with our humanity in the way that it, that those things are designed to, uh, were intended to do. So this whole topic of humanity, I think it's I think it's appropriate, especially given how we just celebrated Easter or Resurrection Sunday, that we talk about a point that it felt to me that you really really wanted people to identify as a takeaway, and that's the idea that Jesus was sent to restore creation to God's order by reconciling humankind back to God. Um, that means that this story about Jesus in the gospel isn't just about four books in the Bible. It's about the entire Bible from Genesis 1 all the way through. Can you tell us a little bit by why you think that's such a critical point that people understand? Multiple reasons. Number one is that I think that it's important for church people to realize that God cares about the entire world, not just Christians. <laughs> that Jesus came to save the world, not just the church. Uh, that God's work of redemption is for all people, even the people we don't like, even the people with whom we disagree, that there's no aspect of God's creation that God is, isn't in the work of redeeming and restoring and reconciling. And in some way, in ways that we, some ways we understand, ways that we don't understand, Jesus, God was at work in Christ, Paul, as Paul says, reconciling the world to himself, that there was something unique happening in Jesus to restore this broken creation, this crypt that we believe was broken in the story of Genesis and the fall of creation, that in some sense God was at work through Jesus 
uh, restoring that. Now, we, some ways we do understand. Like we, I, I, I think we understand. We can understand that Jesus was trying to model what it looks like to be fully human. I think Jesus, in many ways, was trying to express to us in, in a tangible human form, touchable form, the heart of God and God's expectation, God's desire, God's dreams for us and for all of creation. But I think there are in many dimensions that we're yet to understand, and we're still uh, still exploring of how God was at work in Jesus. And and so the resurrection becomes kind of like, uh, it's like the, a guarantee, a, a, a down payment, a guarantee that somehow it's all, that, that we win. Now, of course, I'm digging, I'm, I'm borrowing from uh, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, the great New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, who's a hero of mine, that, uh, you know, that the resurrection for him is hope that that's essential, that it, it's proof that God's at work and that somehow God is making it, making the world right, uh, that God is, is making things just and right and that we're in the process of doing it. And the resurrection is kind of like where we can set our anchor that that's really happening. So that's why Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday is so important. And I just wish we could get churches to, I think, more than ever before, if churches could embrace the resurrection and really celebrate it all the time and find creative ways to celebrate it and communicate it, that that's needed now more than ever before, particularly in these times. I know I'm feeling so much despair about the condition of our world from being on the brink of a third world war and so many other things that that like the resurrection means more to me now than it ever has before. It's almost like resurrection equals restoration. Yes. Um, Great. And you, and, and you, and you yeah. mentioned you mentioned something in the book about humankind being the crown. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. So I take that that's my reading and interpretation of Genesis that God creates creation, and and then He says to human beings, "You're you're you're the managers that." You know, your presence and your interaction with me, your following my command will allow you to cultivate this creation in a way that it will flourish. So in that sense, that's what I mean by human beings being the crown of creation. And then, of course, secondly, in that we were we're made in the image of God, of all creation, uh, in, according to Genesis, we are the part at the part of creation that's in the very image of God. And so we reflect God's glory in creation in a way that no other part of creation does. Yeah. So a couple of times you've mentioned idolatry. So I, I don't want to end today until we get into this topic uh, because it this was kind of the, the uh, I had to think, I had to pause and think for a minute and then it made, to, it made sense to me. But when I first hear the words, when you see the word idolatry next to Jesus, you're like, what? Um, it's a little different. So you point out that we as people are drawn to idolatry. Yes. Uh, why do you think that is? And what does that have to do with our relationship with Jesus? You know, I have spent a lot of time over the last probably 10 years exploring the idea of idolatry. I will tell you that the person who, who awakened me to the pervasiveness of idolatry is Tim Keller at the Great Presbyterian Church in New York, Tim Keller who uh, has an amazing podcast, but he wrote a book about, I can't remember the title of it, it'll, it'll come to me, but he wrote a book that focuses on idolatry and, and he digs into 
that that idolatry is kind of a a fundamental uh, drive in human in humanity in relation to God. And then of course he picks up that when the Israelites are free from Egyptian slavery, they're headed towards the promised land. God gives the commandments. The first commandment is be careful who you give your hearts to. Don't give your hearts to idol gods. So I've always thought of idols as like uh, a thing, or but. But but idolatry in the sense of, uh, and t as Tim Keller might put it, uh, having something in our lives that we identify as ultimate reality other than God, that replacing God with something else is our ultimate reality and the misery that gets created when that idol crashes. And so even with Jesus, we take Jesus and we what we'll do is the, the idolatry is really an, an, a self-idolatry, is that we're in love with ourselves. And so we, we, create, we, we uh, create a Jesus, and a version of Jesus, who's basically, in, we're in charge of him. Like he basically is what, whatever Robert thinks. <laughs> he dresses, he, he will wear an orange shirt on Wednesday, you know. Uh, he, he'd be at St. Mark. If he were in the world right now, there's no other place he'd rather be than St. Mark. And we just, and then we'd like, and I, and I love Jesus, right? So I've, now that I've created him in my image into what I want him to be, then now I'm, I can love him and promote him. And I think that happens everywhere. I think it happens in every culture. I think when one culture or one critic criticizes the distortion of another critic, then they basically recreate another a Jesus in their image because it's always there. I also understand that it is impossible to for anybody to create a totally objective uh, picture of Jesus. He's always wrapped in the envelope of culture. But there, it is possible, however, to measure our, our images of Jesus. We can measure that by the biblical witness. So I don't think the sin is in that we create these idol Jesus, these uh, idols of Jesus, uh, these Jesus idols. The, 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 the failure is that we don't attempt to measure them and correct them by the biblical witness, which then pulls us out of, out of our idolatry into a genuine following of Jesus. So, but I, I think the idolatry piece, I think the biggest idolatry is that is we, we, we have made idols our, out of ourselves. It's so interesting that our culture, people are very quick to say Donald Trump was, is a narcissist, but I think Donald Trump is a reflection of all of culture. I think we're all narcissists in, in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's just more honest about his than most of us. <laughs> I, mean, I think there's a point to that of how we we all have a comfort level. Yes. And and because of that, we tend to we tend to hang out with people who are like us. Right. Uh, we tend to uh, focus on the concerns of people like us, which is exactly opposite of what Jesus did. Right. 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 Uh, and and right. so that when you get when you talk right. about the biblical witness, it really is about okay, who am I, what am I doing, and how does that compare to what I'm reading on the page? Yes. And uh, sometimes that isn't, that isn't the same. And if they don't match up, it's a good opportunity for us to say, hmm, maybe I need to think about this more. Exactly. And, and, and honestly, Robert, I think that's the key of the book is it, it forces the reader to take a look and, and, and at least analyze for themselves, where do I sit on this? Yeah. Uh, where am I along, that, along that, that spectrum of who Jesus is and who I've made him to be? 
Right. And I just think that I think it was really well done. Uh, excellent first effort. So uh, yeah. I, 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 we'll end it right there. I want to say thank you for challenging us to see uh, the set Jesus free and allow him to work more completely and authoritatively in our lives. Uh, the book, again, is titled Jesus Unchained, How to Rise Above Agendas, Find Peace, and Be Set Free. Uh, I found it on Amazon rather easily, but it's at other online locations. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes on the Great Plains Conference's podcast page, and as well as on my website, toddseifert.com. Robert, thank you so much for joining us again on In Layman's Terms. Thank you. It was a joy to be with you, Todd, again. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.